Hello and welcome to Living a Culture of Life podcast by Human Life International. I'm your host, Colleen Haupt, and I'm joined today by Father Bouquet, our president. Welcome back, Father. Colleen, great to be back with you again. Been out in the mission field a little bit since our last podcast, so it's finally great to be back with you here and, and have an opportunity to talk about some of the issues affecting life and family. Exactly. And it's good to be back in the studio. I've been doing a lot of, I guess I did the ones with the regional directors here, but all of my other ones I've been doing have been remote, which is great, but it's nice to actually be in the room and talk to someone face to face. So, <laughs> Yeah. So I was thinking for today's podcast, we could talk about what happens when abortion's banned. I know that you wrote an article on it a few months ago, and it was in response to another article that a pro-abortion group had written right. about all of the bad things that will happen, that they claim will happen when abortion's banned. So I thought we could discuss little bit of the arguments that come up in that, the things that they bring up in that article, and then go into the positive benefits of banning abortion. So, um, and I will link both articles in the description so people can have some reference points for what we're talking oh, about. Good. Um, so yeah, this article that you had been writing in reference to was talking about how when abortions banned, women are just going to get illegal abortions. They brought up cases of women who weren't able to get abortions because they live in pro-life countries and then took pills from random pharmacists who were selling things off the market and ended up dying. So how would you, how should pro-lifers respond to this idea that if we ban abortion, women are just going to get, you know, the coat hanger abortion, the random pill abortions, they're going to drink things that they shouldn't. How do, how should we respond to that as pro-lifers and address a legitimate fear that women will get hurt, but just the whole situation. Right. And I I think Colleen, that's what you just said is really, how do we address, you know, the issues of women who are in need? And so not in said need of abortion, mm-hmm. we would never ever say there is ever that need, but those who are in crisis situations, those who are facing difficult dilemmas, uh, maybe dealing with situations in, uh, with domestic violence or dealing with situations in home environments or, uh, you know, corrupt systems and governments and, you know, whatever those situations are, you know, and so what happens in the article that was in The Wire, that's kind of what I'm addressing, mm-hmm. you know, from, from their point of view, they're thinking that, you know, trying to, you know, uh, well up a amount of support that you know we need abortion and of course where our response is we no we don't need abortion what we need is a legitimate response you know to situations where women find themselves and and a call for us to respond to that need not to give them and not, never to condone abortion because as i began my article that what we have to realize and what the two authors of the article in the wire do not address is that someone dies here and that's the unborn child who is the victim of this violent act called abortion. And so they never talk about it, never mention it. So it's important for us always to start there. But what you bring up, you know, Colleen, is that, you know, so what do we do? We know that from, from statistics and know from data that when, as we see now with Roe, with the overturning of Roe, that no, uh, because abortion is not legal, do we see an increase in abortion. Matter of fact, we see the opposite. We're seeing a decrease in the number. The numbers are plummeting. And and so what we have to do is look at, you know, so what is our response, you know, in these situations? And so sadly, what these two authors are doing, who are just, they're advocates for abortion. This is what they're advocating for. And so they're trying to, you know, to use these very... um, uh, these situations to kind of uh, to kind of gaslight a conversation and to get the conversation going where hey we have to make you know the the cocktail what people call the abortion pill available we must make sure that we don't see any more restrictions on abortion uh, at all we need to make sure that abortion is always available so this is what they're trying to do is well up that support mm-hmm. and of course using 
extreme situations, using situations that may or in themselves be uh, not always real. For example, mm-hmm. you know, the issue of the coat hanger, you know, and so forth. But the reality is there are women who do face difficult moments mm-hmm. and, uh, and don't know where to turn. We, in the sense of, you know, the, uh, they have, can have a domestic violence situation. There may be, you know, uh, and where they have no way of supporting themselves, much less their, their baby. So where do they turn? And so, the, of course, the pro-abortion side, well, the answer is just have an abortion. And our answer is no, that our answer is we have to respond to that need. And so that's where our pregnancy care centers arrive and arise and so many other things. So I would just say that, you know, that, you know, as you make those links available, I think it's important uh, as a friend of mine who's working right now to produce more materials uh, for uh, how to address these issues that are being raised by the pro-abortion side, how to, how to respond to the narrative, how to respond to the rhetoric. Um, it's good for people to know what they're saying. Yeah, that's kind of why I wanted to do this podcast, because I thought it was interesting that I thought it was ironic that their article laid out all these reasons that women are going to get hurt because of banning abortion. And they're completely ignoring the fact that in every abortion, at least one person dies, sometimes two, right? depending on what happens with the mother. Um, But yeah, I guess that was just that was a little reason I wanted to bring it up is because it was interesting to read an article written in favor of abortion and say, okay, this is what they're saying. We need to know how to respond to it. And kind of along those lines, it's obviously important that you have the pregnancy care centers. There are resources for right. women in these situations. And illegal abor- abortion is never the answer. And illegal abortion is just as much not the answer as legal abortion. There's the same, other places to go. Exactly, Colleen. And I think, you know, what right now we're, what our audience would be familiar with is the what people are calling, you know, uh, with the abortion pill. Of course, yeah. you know, I call it the cocktail because people don't realize there are two active drugs involved mm-hmm. in this. And so we, we know that what's happening in the legal uh, issue right now. But, I mean, what uh, this article in The Wire does not want to address is what happens, you know, when someone is taking a drug in a home environment without doctor supervision? What happens, you know, when something goes awry? And as we're seeing, there are many cases where something does happen. And it's not uh, as easy as people uh, are made to believe by just, quote, taking these pills. There are tremendous uh, side effects. For example, no one's asked her if she is in an ectopic pregnancy. You know, uh, no one has really looked at the situations of her own health. Does she have cardiac problems? Does she have other issues? That's not being asked. You know, we'll just mail you these pills. Just take them. So, you know, of course, these two authors are not talking about that. They don't want to address that at all. We just have to have, you know, access to abortion no matter what. And so no one wants to look at the situation, you know, uh, uh, like, for example, uh, when we have a domestic violence situation, you know, uh, abortion is not going to change that situation that she's coming out of. It's going to cover it up. Right. And it's going to protect him. But the, the child is the one that becomes the, the, the victim here of the aggression of the, the father. Mm-hmm. And so no one, they're not talking about that. And, and, and let's be honest, as I bring up in the, on the article, you know, this just continues to let men off the hook, so to speak, and, you know, by not taking responsibility for their own actions. And it also allows, as I say in the latter part of my own column, you know, where it allows politicians you know, not to step up to what really needs to be done. And what are we doing to provide, you know, legal protection? What are we doing to provide, one, legal protection for the unborn child, mm-hmm. legal protection, uh, you know, or making available resources and assets available for women who are in need, you know, so that they don't ever have to think that the only answer to their dilemma is the death of their own child. You know, as I've been writing very much of late, that should never be the answer. And, and it's shameful 
that you know that we really have made women to feel that this is the only answer you know to a situation they may find themselves in and what people want to call a crisis or a difficulty but you know I, I, to me when i read this article and when it, it really stirred up all these feelings in my own myself saying and it actually made me angry at first you know mm-hmm. because i'm thinking this is not honest it, yeah. it's not honestly looking at the issue and you know, as HLI has been, uh, and I know that much of our audience may be familiar with, or maybe not familiar with. I remember when I first came to HLI in 2011, we participated with other pro-life groups, challenging those who were advocating for abortion to uh, make these abortion facilities the same, have the same requirements as any other medical facility. And of course, we're not advocating for abortion, neither were these pro-life leaders. What we were trying to do is expose the fact that the great majority of those who are advocating for abortion are really not necessarily concerned about you know, having the clinics as pristine as any other medical facility would be, following the regulations that every state would have for medical facilities. Well, that goes back to Gosnell. When we did, we did a podcast on Gosnell months ago, and it was talking about like just how completely disgusting and gross is exactly. like clinic with quotes around that right. because you can barely call it that was right. and no one signed on to it i mean what we we worked and we've done it a few times and you know no one from the other side of the aisle would ever sign that and 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 it's very telling it's very mm-hmm. telling you know people claim that we are quote one-sided but in, in reality we're not in okay. reality they are i think pro-lifers can look at it and look at the multifaceted things that are going on and be like, okay, this woman needs like financial help in this area or she needs to get out of an abusive situation or just like look at the actual problem that's going on and give her individualized help to deal with whatever she's struggling with that's pushing her towards abortion versus pro-abortion advocates look at it and they're like, oh, abortion, there's your answer and move on. Like they don't actually help the woman. They just slap a easy pass, even that's not really an easy pass. And as we've talked about before, it it really, just that mindset creates a framework of how people approach these issues. Mm -hmm. And so it it really, uh, as John Paul, you know, talked about Evangelium Vitae and and many others, uh, you know, have talked about in the pro-life movement is that it really, it does, it it, it gives people an out Mm -hmm. that really should be stepping up and helping and being of support. I never thought of comparing it to divorce before, but it remind, things, makes me think a little bit of that. When you have no-fault divorce, there's no incentive for a couple to try to make their marriage work. Correct. And in, I mean, obviously, I'm acknowledged for our audience, there are situations of abuse where there needs to be a separation or something. But that aside, just situations where mm. a couple are just not, quote, in love with each other anymore and they just have an easy out, there is that right. legally. And just kind of the same with abortion when... You have when you say abortion is the only option, there's no incentive to try to actually help the mom or help her in her situation. They're just say, here's your easy out, kill your child and move on. And it doesn't solve her actual problem and it just creates more trauma down the road. Exactly. And and, and I think that you know the, the real the real challenge here is you know is to is to really expose that that that, that, that this is the mindset that we're actually fighting. That's what Father mm-hmm. Marx, you know, said, you know, it's really it's a mindset, it's a framework mm-hmm. and it's a mentality. And it's really hard to to undo once it's become so entrenched. And you know, and I, I mean, I date myself. You know, I was born in '66, so so really, I'm, I came a little bit before into this world before the legalization of abortion here in the United States. But we all know that abortion was legal in other parts of the world, and so this mindset, you know, just continued to encroach and encroach. And and today, you know, depending on your age, it's just this is what you were raised in. This is what you you uh, you know. You, I heard from a friend recently. You know, uh, a married couple, you know, whose child was diagnosed with a uh, with a, a genetic abnormality, 
And uh, thank goodness the doctor's uh, doctor was wrong. But mm-hmm. what the doctor wanted was them to to have an abortion. Mm-hmm. And so, and uh, and because the doctor believed that this was what, 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 their diagnosis, well, they said no matter what happens, we will love and accept our child. This is our child, and the doctor was incorrect. But again, imagine. This, but even the, if he'd been correct, right, this is the doctor's mindset. Yeah. You know, it's some, it's some, essentially, it's just like changing a shirt that's been soiled. Mm-hmm. Let's just take the shirt off and let's just get a new shirt. This is the framework that's happening. So, you know, that's when I when I read the article, that's kind of what I was feeling. I was feeling a sense in, you know, that, you know, where is the legitimate response, you know? And we know that the, the, the cases that are often used are going to be rape, incest. There are going to be situations where, uh, like the article talks about, where in some countries where abortion may be, uh, is illegal, that women would be placed in jail, you know, incarcerated because they had an abortion. You know, we've always said, and many of us engaged in the pro-life movement, said it's not the woman that should be incarcerated. It's the doctors and the people who are performing this, this, this violence that need to be held accountable and those that have advocated pushed her in that direction. So, but they want to raise these up because do, do some of these things happen? Yes, they do. And, but, but they're not the, they're not the norm. And so they, they're. Well, and they elicit an emotional response. You put in right. these like right. stories that makes you angry and you want to do something about it. And then they're using that anger at an unjust situation to drive you towards support something that's even more unjust right. versus we should use that like right. frustration or the anger that women are in these situations and Correct. use them to try to help them get out of those situations and help their child so that right. there's not two victims like that both victims are cared for right. and that yeah <laughs> and we also think about adoption you know yeah. it's never ever mentioned you know from the other side of the aisle and uh, because they they again it's just that's not the mindset you know that uh, but we course, we'll, we'll advocate. You know, a, a story that just came out of Cameroon, we talked about earlier about your podcast with the, the, our regional directors and some of our uh, international uh, team. And, you know, uh, George from Cameroon just told me a story about a young woman uh, where this, is, um, this practice is acceptable, where uh, she welcomes her child, and but realize that she can't care for her child, whatever the circumstance is, that they can, they can bring the child to a legitimate authority and the child will be cared for by the community, mm-hmm. uh, and our home will f- be found for the child. And George said it was a beautiful story because this little little element with a little boy, a little girl, I mean, so beautifully dressed, placed in a crib, and with a note, and and, and left where the baby could be legitimately left. And the note just said, "Please give to my child what I wish I could." Mm-hmm. And it's heartbreaking because. You can see in what, what in the heart of her, the mother that if, if the circumstances were different, at least in her, that she would love to be able to care for her child. Well, and, and she so, gave the child something that no one else could, which was life. And that's what she said. She, she did, yes. And but she also realized that she had limitations, yeah. and so she wanted her child to have things that that she right now could not provide. And what George and I talked about is that if the situation had been known, maybe we, there could have been an opportunity to help her where she could have kept her child as well and found the help she needed. But and the, at least as at the moment George and I talked, that was not the case. But mm-hmm. it just showed how beautiful her love was, that she said yes to her child, mm-hmm. uh, welcomed her child into this world, and did not allow the violence of abortion to be the path that, that, that she could have taken, and instead welcomed her child, and then did something, even another heroic act, and that is she allows her child to be welcomed by someone else 
to have a place to live and to have the need that the child will, uh, requires answered. I feel like I read a news story at one point months ago about them having similar things in the U.S., like places where there's like drop boxes basically for right. mothers who can't care for their children. Do you right. know anything about that? Here in the States, I don't know any particular place, but I do know that typically they're firehouses you know, okay. and police stations. Uh, each state has their different requirements. Uh, but I do see that in different parts of the world, Colleen, uh, mm-hmm. Poland just comes to mind immediately uh, where I've seen uh, in particularly some of the religious houses and monasteries and convents uh, where they have uh, a little opening in, in the door of the building of the convent uh, and there is, it just turns. And so there's a bell inside and so uh, and the person comes, they place their child in, they ring the bell and turn it. And, and that's it. And, and the sister is always a sister or a brother that's available, you know, mm-hmm. so, and it's a place and I, and I've been in those places and I've actually held some of the babies mm-hmm. uh, and it's so beautiful. And, but I think that, you know, that even when you speak to the religious sisters and the brothers and lay people who are doing this phenomenal work or in our country, the states that are mm-hmm. allowing this to happen, uh, to be able to care for, the, for people, I want to just peel that back because in all these situations that I've had the chance to, to be in, in listening to the sisters, the brothers, the, the lay faithful involved, that when they meet sometimes later down the road, they may meet the mother mm-hmm. or the father of these children. And inevitably they will say, I wish things were like today. I would be able to care for my child today. Mm-hmm. I'm in a better place today. You know, And the response would have been, if, if we had known, maybe we could have resolved some of those issues at that very moment where we could have maybe, they could have maybe had that option. But at the same time, we need to still talk about adoption. And yeah. that never comes up uh, no. in, in the wire at all. Well, That's... and going back to their question of like what happens when abortion's banned, hopefully if abortion's banned, it means we start putting those policies in place where exactly. there are, it is easier to adopt or there are places that parents who like can get the support they need. And if they absolutely exactly. like don't, Think that they can handle it right there. There's a place for them to give their child up right. for adoption. And I think it's also with that, Colleen, if I may, it's it's also where the the role of government here has a part to play in a good way. Mm-hmm. And you just you just said it perfectly is to help uh, the, using the principle of subsidiarity. You know, but that is starting in the local communities. But if we have within our within our country a mindset where abortion is not ever. A leg- uh, illicit option mm-hmm. where we we eradicate that mindset and it does not exist it is not only not legal it just does not we we do not accept it and what happens is it'll require us to step forward like george and cameroon said the community comes together mm-hmm. that there are people who know what to do they know how to respond and people will, will sacrifice their own uh, in a sense need to help the need of another person in need and let's be honest, sometimes in our Western cultures, we've lost that understanding. When tragedies happen, tragic events occurs, natural disasters, yeah, people step forward, and that's mm-hmm. a great thing. But then we kind of fall back again. And it's very isolated it is. in the normal everyday life. But if it's... we can change that and come yeah. to the table and say, no, our response is at the lowest level, 
is the community stepping forward, family stepping forward, local government stepping forward. You know, let's be honest. I mean, uh, what, what happens in The Wire, you know, they talk a little bit about it, not in great detail, but we have corrupt systems in governments. Mm-hmm. Look at the high inflation prices, high taxation. We have uh, a, we, there, there are many things you can get access to, but when there's a legitimate need of care because one finds her, and I just say her, sometimes it's a it's a couple, it's a husband and wife. Mm-hmm. It could be some people who are in a civil union. It could be cohabitating. They 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 don't know what to do. They don't they, they're having a hard time, you know, uh, sustaining their own lives. Uh, and so, but then they they want to welcome their child. They mm-hmm. don't want to do this. And this is what we hear more and more cases of. And and so. If we can then the community come forward, and yeah. let's let's be honest, you know the church herself and many uh, within the Christian community are doing yeoman's work in this regard and have been doing for decades. I mean, they they are doing such admirable intervention in these moments. Mm-hmm. Um, but imagine if we had greater resources and yeah. we had community resources and we had government resources that would use our taxes in a appropriate way that we could provide greater uh, opportunity for, for, for women and couples and families in need. Well, like I was saying earlier, there's like the multifaceted aspect of the things the woman's struggling with, but there's also the multi, multifaceted asset, like aspect of like all the different things that can go into helping it. Like if you have government systems in place and you have communities that are ready, like you said, the subsidiarity, if you had each level ordered towards protecting the family and welcoming exactly. life, there would be so many resources in place there to help the mother and help her out in that situation. Agreed. And, yeah, yeah absolutely. so and, that, and that's what it should be. So, so in a situation, let's go back to, the, to some of the things brought up in the wire. Mm-hmm. So, what what is our response to 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 a woman who has been raped? Yeah, what should be our response? You know, what happens when there's a situation where there is domestic violence that has now resulted in mm-hmm. in in the, in, the, in the beginning of a child? You know, so what is the response? Not to create another victim. <laughs> right. And, and abortion is not the answer here. But what is our response? And, you know, and how do we address that? What do we do in situations where uh, women are in, uh, in, in in a sense of uh, thinking, you know, there's no place for them to turn? You know, so why could, why, where, like in a local community, there yeah. should be something that is very clearly known that when if someone's in this kind of need, this is where you go. Your local pregnancy center, if you have exactly. one, that's exactly. a great place. So there's so many ways to respond to this, but the main thing is is not to allow that rhetoric, which has been around. I mentioned Dr. Bernard Nathanson in my article. Yeah. He talks about this, you know, this is what he was doing. Mm-hmm. You know, fabricating numbers in the seventies. Is that when he was? Right. Okay. And so, yeah. just and, and and actually, you can in my article. I know you're going to link it. There'll be links to his comments, which okay. allow people and in, in, to be able to see exactly uh, what he said and and what they were creating. And this is kind of what the wire does again. They, they you know, the two authors in, in, in the wire, they just pick up rhetoric and they just kind of make up these situations. And, and like you said, it's the pull heartstrings. And you know, and and they can be very, very. They can tug pretty deep, you mm-hmm. know, when you when you hear them. Uh, and of course, sometimes they've been so fabricated, it's hard to know where the truth really lies. Yeah, that's but, true. <laughs> but that's the idea. Is but it's to pull people into the emotion. Yeah. And so, uh, and but I would say that we should be emotionally affected, you know, and that's what moves us 
to give a better, the, the, the right response. But to emotionally the affected to, like you said, give the right response, exactly. not to obviously support abortion. Exactly. Like exactly. they're trying to do. I wanted to touch quickly on one of the things they brought up was miscarriages. They would, they had a story about a woman who was jailed for miscarriages. But I remember when we were doing the episode on the vote in Kansas back in September, People were saying that that was a big thing of the rhetoric there, too, was saying that women would get in trouble for having miscarriages that because in like the medical community, they're termed like they fall under the like abortion, like not abortion as indirect killing a child. But whatever the medical term is that I forget right. for miscarriages in the medical community has the word abortion in it. How can we as pro-lifers reassure people that we are not targeting women like that is a tragedy if a woman loses a child right. in a miscarriage? How can right. we reassure people that? Pro-lifers want to care for her, and they're not against them. Right, and I mean, two two different intentions and two different actions are occurring here. Yes. So obviously, we're talking about the difference between a direct abortion, an intentional act mm-hmm. to end the life of a preborn child, and the sad reality of a natural occurrence where there is a miscarriage. They are very different acts and in, in very different situations. And, you know, obviously, you know, I've I, I, not heard of any case that I've seen, you know, where a, a, a woman who has had a miscarriage, you know, has been brought before some court. I mean, I'm not, I mean, I've mm-hmm. seen stories like this, but I've not seen anything of, uh, legitimately that I've seen in any document to say this is why she's before the court that, you know, would be, be far-fetched, you mm-hmm. know, for that to be done. And again, terminology can be confuse people, mm-hmm. you know, in the sense of what the medical establishment may or may not be using to explain, you know, a, natu- a, a miscarriage. Mm-hmm. But, you know, but for us, you know, to look at the two different acts, the two different situations and keep them, you know, very separate because one is a direct intention and an act is done to actually to bring that intention to bear. Mm-hmm. And that is to end the life of the preborn child. In the situation where a woman, you know, has had, you know, for whatever reason, you know, the, the loss of her child. Uh, I just had a phone call just two days ago for two two uh, uh, two family members, you know, lost. So the uh, so a, a daughter in law and a daughter in the family lost their children, you know, mm-hmm. to miscarriage. So you know, and so. The the state is not going to quote even in state uh, pro life states they're not aiming the law at at women of that nature mm-hmm. so I think it's important for people not to get caught into that you okay. know so uh, and so if someone uh, goes to the doctor you know after having uh, realized they've had a miscarriage you know the doctor will realize that there there's nothing has been done that's been uh, to cause you know the death of this child mm-hmm. it would be different obviously if someone comes in and says i i used the ru486 pill and uh, this was my i mean that's a different situation a different yeah. act has been done something has been done to actually bring about the death of the child. So like if you were responding to that, if someone brought up that argument, you would basically just outline that, or not outline sounds very educational and cold, but like you would basically lay out that an abortion is directly intending the life, taking the life of a child. Right. A miscarriage is a tragedy that is an accident. Right. And in an accident is since something naturally occurs that, you know, yes. from uh, some abnormality, some genetic issue, whatever, some, whatever mm-hmm. has occurred has not been, uh, been caused by by an, an outside act or an intention, you and know, so just making it clear that pro-lifers like they're different things, and we recognize that and right. 
kind of explaining the nuance of what the pro-abortion people are twisting it to be right. and being like, no, these are actually two separate things. Right. And, 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 and I think it's important for people not to get caught into that rhetoric mm-hmm. because, I mean, I have family members, you know, who, who have lost children uh, because of miscarriages, you know. Mm-hmm. No, no fault of their own and no explanation by doctors of why it occurred. So, mm-hmm. But we can very easily know if a different act is chosen and an intention has been followed through on and someone has actually done something to pro- procure an abortion, you know, chemically or surgically, we can obviously know those acts are very different. And mm-hmm. in states where abortion is illegal, you know, there is something that has happened that is not, that is not a legal act within that state. Miscarriage is 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 not in that category. Yeah, because I was a set, because I had three stories in there. So the first one was the case of illegal abortion. The second one was miscarriage. The third one they brought up a situation where girls were banned from school because they had unplanned pregnancies. And I know right. we do a lot of work in um, pro life countries that um, where women who have unplanned pregnancies can't always afford to go back to school, Correct. which is a different again slightly different situation. But can you just address from your like hands on knowledge of all these different countries what things people are doing in third world right. countries to make sure that those girls can go back to school. Right. And I think the one thing, you know, working with pregnancy care centers and having been in school systems myself, working in ministering in those school systems, and you find situations like this. The first thing is obviously you don't want, you know, to uh, to actually make her feel, the, the, the young woman in this situation, you know, feel so guilty that, you know, that she is in a situation like this that it leads her to abortion. Mm-hmm. In other words, she becomes she becomes penalized, you know. So you have to, the balance there is is to also recognize as you're teaching the rest of the students that this situation is from a, is from a Catholic point of view, all right? Yes. So just using the approach from us as Christians and, and Catholics, we know that, that the, the gift of, of expression of conjugal love is that between a husband and a wife that the, the, the expression of sexual intercourse is only to be expressed between a husband and a wife. So children are to be begotten as a result of the conjugal act and conjugal love. So outside of that, all right, would obviously we would say is not the, the, the path that the Lord has given and the Lord desires. So, but in this situation, it's, it's, this has occurred. So what do we do? The child is a gift. Mm-hmm. And is to be loved and to be welcomed and to be defended and always protected. So the first thing to do is to help the student body, to help the school realize that abortion is not the answer here, that the situation is 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 a difficult moment, but we will stand with her, we will help her, we will support her, we will find the means to uh, with her family, do everything we can to love both, love both. We serve both always important. At the same time, it, it, you know, uh, here, you know, some systems, I've seen this, you know, here in the States, and I've also seen it uh, in other countries, and it's an arguable position. It's a prudential judgment. Sometimes what they will do is they may uh, 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 take her out of a classroom situation. Uh, some people will say, some people think, again, it's all prudential judgment. Some, Why would they do that? That's a, it's a question, because would there, some would think, well, Maybe we won't do this. We don't want to help other students think that, you know, that this is an okay path. But that's why it's always a danger because what it does is then if you isolate her or you treat her any differently, then it could lead someone else who might be in a similar situation. Well, I don't want to be treated that way. I don't want to be isolated. Mm-hmm. So that's always the danger. I always approach it, you know, from the point of view is you you welcome, you 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 keep the situation as it is, and, and you find all the ways to help 
uh, by one, it's a time of education to the rest of the students. Uh, and it's also a time- subject. <laughs> exactly. It's a time to talk about it, to look at it, not use her as a situation because we don't want her to feel used or to be you know, mm-hmm. mistreated or, again, isolated in some kind of way. But at the same time, we want the students to realize that there is a culp- is culpability, there's responsibility, there are consequences to actions, mm-hmm. and that now it's up to us and to help, to help her, you know, that is going to change path of life. It may alter sometimes her schooling for a little while, mm-hmm. you know, but it, it's not an end. You know, it, you know there's, it, may, it may put things on hold for a little while, things may change for a moment, but there's a path forward. Mm-hmm. And it's just promoting a positive you know, even as I'm discussing, I know some people will say, well, that doesn't sound too positive, but really it, it is. And, and I mean, things happen all the time that make people delay schooling or exactly. things like that. I think that's a little bit different than like, right. yeah. <laughs> right. And so, but I've seen in other other countries because their cultures are different. Their their way of approachment is different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes, you know, I've seen in uh, certain developed countries where they actually create a, a separate school, if you will. It's a parallel school. Uh, hmm. Where, because again, as she starts, you know, moving toward the, the latter the trimester, I mean, things are changing, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and so they have uh, court, different kind of court, all positive. There's nothing to done. That's it's not meant to isolate. It's not with a mindset of isolation. So it's, it's just to prepare her for being a mother, basically. Right, exactly. So they kind okay. of balance it out by still providing her formation, her education, you know, giving her the environment that she needs. But especially as she starts moving into the latter part, where things are changing and you know she's not feeling well but it's it's to wor- work with with them and sometimes they they'll also have a homeschool environment you know in that situation so i've seen different approaches but i i guess what i'm hopefully you know trying to, uh, to uh, hopefully coming across and saying is that you know the the response is to support her and and to recognize that the answer is that you don't, you don't want to give her to push her such a point where she feels guilty and thinks that and other women will say well again as i mentioned earlier well i don't want to go that route because mm-hmm. i don't want to be isolated i don't want to be pulled out of the school i don't want to be you know treated differently you know and so maybe if i'm in that situation you know they may be more leaning part of me toward abortion minded because mm-hmm. they just don't want to go that path so yeah. no that that's not their answer so I think that, you know, as we've so, seen... Mm-hmm, like it sorry. comes down to like a prudential judgment of what how the best way to help her in that situation. Like, right. is it to like, yeah, and how to help the other students not necessarily follow down that path, but at the same time not alienate her Correct. for a mistake that happened. Or, right. You know, a, a choice that has occurred. Yeah. But to also see that there, you know, with that is responsibility, which to me is important. And to realize that, you know, that now our task is to, is to be of support to her you know, mm-hmm. to to welcome her child and to welcome her, uh, and not to condone maybe the uh, any of the reasons that brought us to this moment. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where the balancing is. And I think some schools struggle with it, especially within the Christian Catholic community, mm-hmm. because you know, like with our pregnancy care centers, the moment someone walks through the door, it's it's we are here to help. Yeah. And the situation should be the same. Is that. This may not have been the path, uh, the uh, in the sense of what ideally we would have wanted, but here we are. Yes. So let's walk this together. And I think it's also just hearing stories about that. It's very important as Americans to recognize that it's a different culture and that what's acceptable in that culture, what's considered prudent in that culture isn't always what we would do here either. That right. it has to be, again, a case-by-case basis depending on the community and what's going on there. Right. Too. And, and there are situations, and I mean, people probably, you know, on any of the side of the aisle can raise examples where uh, someone's made to be, you know, is, feels uh, made to be treated in a way that they're made to feel shamed. Mm-hmm. You know, that should not be the response either. You know, it really is, as you said, situations occur, 
you know, how many parents, you know, who have uh, raised their children in a, in a moral environment, you know, did all that they could, and their, their child, their teenager, their adolescent, you know, young adult makes a choice mm-hmm. and, 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 and finds himself in such a situation. Of course, the parent is disappointed. Parent is saddened by the choice that has been made. And, but they still love them, they care for them, and what can we do to be of assistance? And I, and I think that is the response. You know, it's a, in that very moment, of course, there's going to be disappointment. I mean, mm-hmm. that's just a, a natural response, but you move forward. And I think that's the. I think that's really the challenge. You know, I, I just want to peel it back, if I could, just for yeah. a moment. And that's why I, I love what, what we're working toward as well, and many others. Is how do you peel back so that we're not in such a situation? Which mm-hmm. goes back to, to teaching the beauty of, of, of chastity, the, the the beauty of self worth and self dignity, and helping people understand that there are consequences to to every action, mm-hmm. and especially in a sexual act. That you know the sexual act is is it can and and often does result in the beginning of a child, and so and I think it's important to help people to see that and in order to not be in such a situation, mm-hmm. then the first choice is not to put yourself in that situation, yeah. and so but that's a different moment for a different podcast. But uh, but I, again, I think you know it's just away from my own self is as I often do by reading what the other side says by reading what. Um, uh, we are completely in a, not in, in support of, but mm-hmm. it helps us know what's being promulgated. What is the narrative? What is the language being used? And for us, and this is what I love about so many of the pro-life groups that are working with young college students, working within the, uh, the youth environment uh, in different levels of, of school, that they're able to make it more specific. They're able to address those issues very mm-hmm. directly, uh, and, and they do an admirable work in that. Um, and I think that, you know, uh, so it's good to hear what they're also hearing, mm-hmm. because we know that in the secular system that the school system itself is geared toward the mindset that the two authors have. Yes. <laughs> I mean, that's what that's what we're up against. When you realize just, yeah, what people need to hear, what they need to, okay, this is what they're thinking based off of the arguments they're hearing in the media, and these are the actual issues that we need to address. These are the emotional responses that we need to be able to be aware of. Right. So that we can actually help them see the truth. Right. So, exactly. Yeah. exactly. That's why I wanted to have this podcast. Well, so. <laughs> hopefully it's helpful. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much, Father. Uh, and you. to all of our listeners, please like, follow, subscribe, share with your friends if you enjoyed this. Drop ideas for future podcasts in the comments if you have anything you'd like to hear us talk about. And keep on living the culture of life. God bless. <laughs>